So I want to start off um, talking about a story, a true story, a story that um, many of you have heard before, but not all of you. Uh, in 1998, Kara uh, and I had only been married for about a year, and I took a position with a company in Wheat Ridge, and I was 28 years old. Um, and uh, one day I went to lunch, and, and I didn't drive too far, just maybe two, three miles. And I went through a residential area coming to and from lunch. And I, I wasn't in a hurry, and, and I got a quick lunch, and and I, I, I speed when I'm on the highway. I'm just going to be honest with you. I speed on the highway. But I don't speed in residential areas. And I, you know, I, I just don't. Um, and I was going through a residential area, and I was not speeding. This was on the way back from lunch. And as I'm driving, there's a girl up on the right, and I didn't see her quite yet. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, see that girl? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, she's going to jump, jump in front of the car. Put your foot over the brake. And I knew it was God. I instantly knew it was God. And I'm a little freaked out because I believed him. And I'm like, what? What? Her? He's like, yes, yes, she's going to jump in front. And I'm like, why? What? What? So I have my foot over the brake, and I'm actually applying pressure. I'm braking. And, and I wasn't going fast in the first place, and now I'm going really slow. And then something caught my attention on my left. The mom, I later found out, this woman opens the door and steps on the front porch and calls out to the girl because she was walking home from school. And the girl was so excited to see her mom. She didn't look left or right. She didn't. She just jumped into the middle of the road. And I'm watching this all take place. So I slam on the brakes. And, and it, it, wasn't, it wasn't super close at this point. It was maybe 10 feet. It wasn't so close that it was scary or I mean, it was still scary, but I slammed on the brakes. And the girl, what do you think she did? She absolutely froze. Ah, the mom's over here. She screams, ah. She didn't scream. That was like a mas masculine scream. It was more like a, ah. That was still kind of, but she screamed. Um, and then, you know, I looked, and there were no other cars coming. I'm like, you're okay, you're okay. And I waved to the mom. I'm like, you're okay. The girl ran to her mom, and I immediately start crying. And I'm like, God, are you kidding me? That was incredible. You love that girl so much. You love that family so much. And I'm like, Lord, you love me so much. You love my family so much. And then I start laughing. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You totally told me she was going to do that, and she did it. And I cry, and I laugh, and I cry some more, and I laugh some more, and I'm just dialoguing with the Lord. And what's amazing is I'm totally in awe of him, and I had this totally relational response from the Lord. He's like, yeah, but you believed me. You believed me. You, you believed that it was me. You knew my voice, and you put on the brakes, boy, and, and he was like affirming me, and I'm like, no, Lord, you're the one that spoke and saved this girl's life and saved my life. That would have been devastating. In, in all of my um, excitement and tears and laughter, there, there's things I wish I'd have done. I wish I would have pulled over, and I wish I would have gotten out of that car and walked over 
across the street and said, ma'am, what's your name? Sweetie, what's your name? My name is Mark, and I, I need to tell you what happened. I, I wish. I, I wish I would have then begun to just prophesy over her life right there and prophesy that God has plans for this family and plans for that girl. And I, I, I wish, but I was so swept up in the moment. Honestly, I didn't even think about that probably for weeks. I'm like, oh, that would yeah, have been a good thing to do. That experience transformed me. It changed me. And here's the cool thing. It didn't just transform me once. It, it transformed me again and again and again. As a matter of fact, I feel like it changes me every single time I tell the story, every single time I remember the story. And it's a true story. That's what the love of God does. It transforms us. And not just once, but again and again and again. If there's anybody in this place that, that I don't know or someone out there watching that I don't know, and, and we have an encounter and we exchange names, pleasantries, hellos, whatever, we, we, we have an encounter and we meet. But that doesn't mean that I know you and that doesn't mean you know me. That means we, we now have a beginning that could turn into a friendship. We have a beginning that could turn into a partnership, a relationship of some sort. But just at that first meeting, I don't know you and you don't know me. We might get a glimpse of like a cool, obvious facet of each other. Like I, I might meet and go, oh, this woman has style. She's really got panache. She has a flair and Look at how she accessorizes. Man, she's got style. But I don't know her. I might look at this guy and go, man, look at that eye contact. And, and look at that handshake. And for such a young man, man, he just evokes confidence. But that doesn't mean I know him. Today we're going to be talking about knowing the Lord. Last month, this world said goodbye to an absolute legend in the faith. J.I. Packer. He was 93. When Christianity Today conducted a survey to determine the top 50 books that have shaped and impacted evangelicals, Packer's book, Knowing God, came in fifth. Packer said this about knowing God. He said, a little knowledge of God is worth more than a great deal of knowledge about God. Isn't that good? A little knowledge of God is worth more than a great deal of knowledge about God. You see, it's not just information that we're supposed to gather about God. It's not just information that we're supposed to tuck away, a form of knowledge that, that has a lot of facts and stories. And That's not what we're called to do. We're called to know God. It's called to be more than just an introduction. It's meant to be a relationship where that we are transformed constantly. His love changes us constantly. Transformational knowing of God comes from the intimate, personal knowing of His divine love. 
Because God is love, God can only be known through love. Did you hear that? Because God is love, he can only be known through love. To know God is to love God, and to love God is to know God. You guys remember the song, 1 John 4, 7, and 8? Remember that song? Yeah. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not. Oh, hold on, hold on. we got to back up. Come on. He that loveth not. Clap, clap, clap. There you go. <laughs> knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. First John 4, 7, and 8. It's a, it's a song. It's real. I'm just letting you know. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Our God, our God is known only in devotion, affection, and nothing else. He's not known through memorization, although memorization of Scripture is powerful. It's, it's, a, it's an important thing, but that's not how he's known. He's known in our devotion to him and our receiving of his affection and belief. This is why Paul's prayer is that we may know the love of Christ and be filled to the utter fullness of God because this is transformational knowing. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19 says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If we want to be filled with all the fullness of God, we have to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that surpasses religion. This surpasses tradition. This surpasses obligation. The title of today's message is quite a mouthful. Maybe not so much in the amount of words, but rather in what those words say. Knowing God, being known, serving God. That's the name of our message today. Knowing God. Being known, serving God. So I've already shared a little bit 
on, on knowing God, but there's a passage of Scripture that quite honestly should be terrifying to just about every Christian. It should be pretty dang terrifying. And that Scripture broaches the subject of being known. And this is found in Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read 21 through 27. I'll, I'll pause after 23 briefly. But Matthew chapter 7. Not, this is verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So this is Jesus talking. This is Jesus sharing. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Next verse. Next verse. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Friends, Jesus is the rock. And the house that we're building is our life. It is our relationship with him. And he says it's the wise man who will build this relationship that will build his life upon me. The rock upon Jesus. He's talking about himself. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So I'm here to tell you, rain's going to fall. Floods are going to come. Winds are going to beat Upon our lives. Bad things happen. Poop happens. That's a fact. The rain's going to come. But is our life founded upon? What is it built upon? What is the foundation of our heart, our love, our affection, our trust? Jesus is saying, Know me and I want to know you. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a fool who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. You know, there's a lot of scriptures that talk about knowing God. When we dig in and we look into it, there's a lot John chapter 17, verse 25 and 26. Jesus says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I love that. Jesus says, even though the world doesn't know you, I know you. And these, these disciples they know that you've, that you've sent me. He's, he's making it all about the Father. He know, they know that I am sent by you. 
I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I love this because it's honestly, it's true. It's so true. We are a dense people. We are slow. We need repetition. We need repetition again and again and again. And Jesus is talking to the Father and he's like, I've, I've let them know. And I'm going to continue to let them know. I've told them you love them. I've told them that everything I do is out of my love for you because you love them. And I will continue to tell them. Even in my going away. This is his last prayer. This is Jesus' last prayer. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is right before he gets betrayed and he's having this conversation with the Lord. He's like, I will continue to tell them. Philippians 3, 7 through 10 says this. This is Paul speaking. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of what? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered. I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You guys, it's absolutely astounding that God wants to be known by you, by me. It's absolutely astounding that God wants to be known by human beings. You guys, revelation is essential to God's character. God longs to disclose himself, to reveal himself to us. He longs to do it. He longs to reveal just facets of his goodness, little jewels of his nature and just beautiful ways that he loves us. He he desires this. Revelation is not simply something that happened at some distant point in the past. If that were the case, then all we could hope for was information. Information from this historic event that took place in the past. Friends, I hope when you're reading the Bible, that's not what you're reading. I hope when you open up the Word of God, you're not looking at it as a series of stories that took place in the past. Because there is revelation that the Holy Spirit brings today for every hungry heart, for every heart that will call out to him. Revelation. That's the most thrilling thing about sermon prep, just so you know. That's the most thrilling thing about preparing a sermon. I'm just letting you know. If you were to ask me, like, what's what's your favorite part of preaching? Revelation. Getting revelation from God. And I'm like, oh, oh, that's so good. I get to share that. Thrilling. Thrilling. 
want to read a scripture that shows just how much God wants to be known by us. And God shows us this through a conversation, okay? Us, here, here's what the conversation is going to look like. I just want to make sure you grab this. It's us to each other. We're talking to each other. And then God, Bogart in the conversation, and responding to us, okay? So it's found in Hosea chapter 6, verses 3 through 6. So this is us talking to each other. Oh, that we might know the Lord. This is us. This is us talking. Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in the early spring. He will respond. And then they were right. God responds. Here's what he responds with. Oh, Israel and Judah. What should I do with you? Ask the Lord. For your love vanishes like the morning mist. Your love disappears like dew in the sunlight. I sent my prophets to cut you to pieces, to slaughter you with my words, with judgments as inescapable as light. I want to show, I want you to show love. Not sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. He wants to be known. He wants to be known by you. He wants to be known by me. Now, I'm going to say this right now, and we we already read it. We, We know this through looking at the life of Jesus. We know it. In other scriptures we're going to read, service to God is a part of our expression of love. But that's exactly what it is. It's not obligation. It's not that we're some, some, you know, some slave, some mindless drone who does it for the sake of religion. No, we do it for the sake of love. I open the door for my girls, for my wife. And, and for my daughters, always have, always will. I don't ever do it out of a sense of obligation. I do it because I love them, and it's just a small little way I get to express that love and that honor and that respect I have for them. We're to do things out of love. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me. All right, so I want you guys to hear me. People erroneously find their value and their worth and their identity, usually from these three things. What I have, what I can do, and what people think of me. That's where we find our worth. That's where we find our value, erroneously, incorrectly. Incorrectly, we find our worth by what I have. So if I, if I have that awesome car that is a symbol in a, you know, of, my, of my success, then my value is going to be high. If I have those shoes, if I have that jacket or that bag, what I have, what I can do. This one's this one this one hits home to me, you guys. What I can do. 
how hard I work, how much I get done. And even sometimes, Lord, how much I can serve you. And we erroneously, we wrongly find worth in that. And that's not right. And then what people think of me. And this one's so dangerous. What people think of me. Because see, you know what comes, you know what comes on? It's impossible to, to care to, for this to be what defines us without wearing a mask. Without wearing a mask. What, what people think about me. I've got to put on the front. I've got to put on the facade. I've got to show that I have it all together. I've got to show that I'm cool. I've got to show that this, that, the other, whatever. And it is wrong. It is wrong thinking. As a matter of fact, it is, it is detrimental to our soul. It will tear down our soul. If, if we let those three things, which are the three things that humans fight, do a little self-search. Do a little self-search. What I have, what I can do, what people think of me. And identify what percentage of those things weigh on your heart and give you your identity and your worth. Do you know how Jesus found his value? Do you know how Jesus found his worth, his identity. It's the most radical thing. He found his worth by his relationship with the Father. He found his worth by his devotion and his love, his relationship with the Father, which resulted in obedience, resulted him in doing everything the Father said, because why wouldn't he do everything the Father said? Because the Father is completely trustworthy. And the results of every bit of the Father's instructions is always going to result in love and life. So why wouldn't he do everything? It was never out of obligation. It was always out of love. And then the third thing, what the Father said about him. That defined Jesus. What the Father said about the Son. You see, when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, he went under the water. And when he came up, the Holy Spirit descended upon and remained upon Jesus. And a voice from heaven came and, and the Father said this about the Son. This is my Son. In him I'm well pleased. This is my Son. This is my Son. And in him I'm well pleased. Young people, guess, guess how many miracles Jesus had preached up to this point? Or had, had performed up to this point? Zero. The father didn't say this about his son because Jesus had done all these miracles. Guess how many uh, sermons on mountains or valleys or anywhere that he had preached up to this point? Zero. The father didn't say this about his son because of what the, the son had done but because of who he was. I want to quickly go through some things. I'm going to give you the address. I'm not, we're not going to go to the scripture, but I want to talk about Peter. And I want to talk about Peter because so many of us relate to Peter. So many of us. And we're going to look, about, look at his journey. 
So let's start off at the first initial meeting of Jesus and and Christ's call, the call that Jesus gave for Peter to follow him. So in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42, young people, this might be a good spot to write down there under Peter. John chapter 1, 35 and 42, we see something interesting. We see Peter's brother, Andrew, showing up to Peter and saying, Oh my gosh, the Messiah, he's here. I found him. You need to come meet him. Now, let's also keep in mind that Peter and Andrew, so these brothers were in business together. They had the family business. They were, they were fishermen. And Andrew makes this bold declaration, says, I'm following him. I'm, I'm leaving the family business. I'm following him. It's, but I want you to come meet him too. Andrew makes that introduction. Jesus doesn't call Peter because of Andrew's introduction. It's just, but Jesus gives the same call to Peter. Follow me. And we see that also in Matthew 4, 18 through 22. From this account, we can safely assume that Peter accepted Jesus as the Messiah. Much like we in that very first introduction were like, oh, good to meet you. Don't really, don't really know you yet, but we've began the process. We can see this about Peter. Oh, yeah, 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 he's the Messiah. But see, Peter is a good Jewish man. He, he's been trained right. He, he, knows, he knows the stories of God. He knows the faithfulness of God. He knows how God was faithful um, with the children of Israel and bringing them out of bondage. He, I mean, he understands that he is a, you know, a son of Abraham. And he looks at Jesus and says, okay, okay, he's the Messiah, okay. I think there's like a half-hearted bit of, okay. And I said that because if we look at his actions and the, the things reflected, when we truly believe, we respond in a way that's authentic to that belief. So let's move ahead to Peter's encounter with Jesus walking on the water. In Matthew 14, 22 and 23, by now, Peter has seen some miracles. Peter has heard some messages. Peter has seen Jesus do some things. And by now, he would have been solid. His faith would have been growing and solid. He watched Jesus closely. He saw that Jesus was consistent always. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. It's like this dude doesn't change. This dude's the same when the wind's blowing and this dude's the same when, when the sun's shining, he's the same. And that same is good. That same is loving. That same is gracious. Peter had, had dialogue with Jesus. He had walked with Jesus. Now, at this point, he's growing in relationship with Jesus. It's no longer just saying Yes. Friends, I'm telling you right now, we are dropping the ball and we are missing it and we have a fake sort of love if the only time that we have ever dialogued with the Lord is when we said yes to him. That's an introduction. That is not a relationship. Peter started walking with him, being with him, walked away from his, from his business for him, 
talked with him and began to know Jesus. And on this night, where the disciples are in a boat and Jesus is not, and it is stormy and it is rainy and it is dark, Peter wasn't thinking about any, anything else other than a little bit of self-preservation. There's this storm taking place and suddenly they see Jesus walking on the water. And they know it's him. But they're terrified. They're in the middle of a storm and Jesus says these words. He says, courage. Courage. Don't be afraid. It's me. Do not be afraid. Peter immediately had this awesome response. If it is you, tell me to come to you across the water. That is bold, man. He's like, tell me, tell me if it's you, and I will jump and I will run to you. I will jump out of this boat and I will come to you. Jesus is like, it's me. It's me. And Peter stepped out of the boat and he walked on water. For a short, brief stretch. We don't know how long. But we know that he walked on water. Other than Jesus, he's the only person we see who's ever walked on water. And he walked on water. And at some point, he took his eyes off of Jesus and back onto the storm. And he dropped. And I don't know how much distance was between Peter and Jesus. But whatever it was, Jesus instantly traversed whatever that distance was and grabbed him and caught him and pulled him up. Christ invited him to step out of the boat and come to him, and Peter did exactly that. If you ask Peter now, what is your level of conviction? What is your level of belief? What is your level of love, he probably would say at that moment, he's always there. He's always faithful. And he is mighty in ways that you don't understand. Pretty great words. But I, I imagine at that time, his defining words, his immediate response would not be talking about the love of God. Jumping ahead to Jesus' washing of the disciples' feet. In John chapter 13, we see Peter's initial refusal to allow Jesus to wash his feet. And then we see immediately after that, Jesus predicts. He prophesies Peter's betrayal. What might Peter have said of his knowing of God and his knowing of self at this point. It seems probable that Peter would respond in talking about the love of Jesus. That he would stress his belief that Jesus is the Messiah. Maybe even fervently that he would declare with no doubt Jesus is the Messiah. 
I bet you he would be absolutely shocked at this point to say, yeah, but Jesus got it wrong. Jesus got it wrong. I, I will never betray him. I will never deny him. I, I love Jesus. I believe in Jesus. And I think he's confusing me with Judas. I think he's got it wrong. Sometimes it's easier to believe in ourselves than it is to believe Jesus. Sometimes we place our faith in self instead of faith in Jesus. Friends, Jesus didn't get it wrong. Peter betrayed Jesus. In, in absolute weakness and absolute fear, it was inconceivable to him before but when rubber hit the road, Peter denied Jesus three times. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Our knowing is linked with loving. Our knowing is linked with loving, and when we talk about Knowing God, it has to be linked with loving. It can't just be a, a basis of knowledge. Let's briefly look at Peter after his denial of Christ. In John chapter 18, verses 15 through 27, once again, we're not going to go there. We would probably find Peter absorbed in regret consumed in anguish, consumed with self-hatred because he denied Jesus. He thought he was strong and tough and burly and he thought he was loyal and that he would stand, he would stand strong. And he didn't, he was weak. And he failed. And so right now, post Jesus' death and even post Jesus' resurrection, he is still beating himself up. I thought I would have been stronger. I failed him. And he's just consumed with shame. He might also be thinking about how easily his pride had been wounded by Jesus' prediction that he was going to deny him. His his protesting statement of saying, even if all of these fail you, I will not. Pointing at the other disciples. Even if Marie fails you, I will not. Even if Byron fails you, I will not. That's what he was doing. He's saying, even if these, it's a, it's a small room, even if Kara fails you, I will not. And what do you do? failed. What can we say about Peter's knowing of himself at this time? Because our knowing of self and our knowing of God are linked. Because our identity is found in Christ and Christ alone. And if we don't know ourselves, and if we won't allow Jesus to define us, if we don't know ourselves, then we can't truly know God. And I'm not talking about some weird exploration. I'm talking about Believe in what Jesus says about us. Believe in what the Father says about us. 
And what was Peter believing about himself at this time? Well, we see that a number of the disciples in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 25, we see that, that some of the disciples went back to fishing. Peter was one of them. He went back. What else is left? At least I can fish. After a night of catching absolutely nothing, there was an unknown stranger, an unknown person. They didn't recognize who this was on the shore, and it's dark. And they called out. That person called out. Did you catch anything? No. And then these, these familiar words. Cast your nets on the other side. See, Jesus had given those words before. He had told them those words before. Imagine the goosebumps. Imagine. Is that Jesus? Jesus said that to us. Is that him? So they immediately, says they immediately put the nets on the other side and immediately was filled with, I want to say it was like 153 fish, big fish. Peter knew it was Jesus just kind of forgets all common courtesy at this point because they have 153 large fish in this net. And he jumps out. He puts his garment on, jumps into the water to swim to the shore to see if it was Jesus. It does say that once they got to shore that Peter helped him pull the net in. So that was nice of him. Jesus' response remarkable. Mirroring the pattern of denial, Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him more than the other disciples. Not to throw up his arrogance in their faces or in his face. Or he's, for, for real, Peter, I, I believe you meant this when you said it. Do you love me? Do you truly love me more than anyone? Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. Jesus says, then feed my little ones, feed my lambs. He responds with a call to service. Because that's what he knew. He knew his service to the Father. And now Jesus says, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, a second time, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. And then a third time. This is when Peter connected the dots. I denied him three times. This is the third time he's asked, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. And feed my sheep. 
we, we can't hear that story without embracing the fact that Jesus is love incarnate. How redemptive is that? Talk about doing away with shame. Talking about, about doing away with the heaviness, with the self-hatred, with the self-loathing. And then Jesus, he, he once again calls Peter. And he just says it just as simply as he did the first time. Peter, follow me. Our God is a God of redemption. Our Jesus is a Jesus of redemption. I want you guys to think about this. I think about the beauty of friendship, the beauty of relationship. Jesus is on the shore making a fire, cooking breakfast, provides, they've gone back to fishing, provides financially for them and saying, throw the nets on the other side. And then just sets things back in motion and said, I haven't changed my mind about any of you. I loved you then. And I love you now. I haven't changed my mind about you. I loved you then. And I called you then. And I wanted you to link arms with me then. And I haven't changed my mind. I want you to link arms with me and follow me now. When we look at the story of Peter, we see this amazing interweaving of life and frailty and strength and confidence and failure and redemption. So if you ask Peter at this point to tell me about Jesus, at this point in the story, see, Peter doesn't respond with, he is the Messiah. He is the he is the coming or the, the here now king who's going to deliver us from Roman tyranny. At this point, he doesn't respond with, he's the worker of miracles. At this point, he doesn't respond with, he's an amazing teacher. See, at this point, Peter responds with, I love him so much. And he loves me so much. And I know him and he knows me. And I will lay down my life for him. And Peter did. Peter did lay down his life for him. Do you know that Peter was crucified upside down? He insisted upon it because he said, I am not worthy to die in the same manner as my Jesus. Friends, I don't know where we're at in our relationship with the Lord. I'm just telling you, it doesn't get there just by showing up on Sundays. Think about the best friendships we have and think about the ways that we can waste a day and it's the best use of that day ever. You're like, oh my gosh, we were going to do this and this today and we didn't get anything done because we were just laughing and being silly and we spent two hours in the Hallmark store and bought nothing and then went to Hobby Lobby and I don't even like buttons but look there's so many buttons but man what a fantastic day I want to encourage you guys 
you open up the Word of God, don't just plow through to see how much grounds we can cover. Read a scripture. Read like what we read from Matthew 7. And then sit and go, Lord, for the next five minutes, I just... I just want to listen. I just want to hear from you. Unpack this for me. Reveal this to me. Personalize this to me. Um, do, I, do I do this? Would you show me how I do this? Lord, teach me. And I want to say this, and, and I, want, I, I don't want to be ambiguous about it. Know God. Love God. Make yourself known to Him. And serve. There is a world that needs to hear this message. There is a church that needs to be strengthened by the love of God. There is serving to be done so that Jesus might be glorified. I didn't want to make the end of the message serving. I wanted this to be it would have been a much cleaner sermon title and a much cleaner graphic. Like, knowing God and Him knowing you. You know, that that would have been much cleaner. But we see it time and time again. You love me? You love me? Serve. You love me? Feed my sheep. You love me? Do what I say. Trust me enough to do what I say. Be obedient. I love imagining the conversations with God. I love Peter having a conversation with God, with, with Jesus, after Jesus has ascended. And Peter saying, hey, you were right. I mean, I know you know you were right, but I just need to say it. You were right. I thought pretty highly of myself. And I, I still I'm, I still beat myself up every now and then, Jesus, that I that I denied you. And Jesus might be like, oh, you didn't just deny me. It was like three times. He's like, Peter, like three, like three times. I, mean, I don't know. I could just see them joking like that. Peter going, yeah, that's right, Lord, three times, three times. But then, remember on the beach? Remember what you did? I didn't grasp the fullness of that moment at that time. But after you left... It just hit me. The Holy Spirit just revealed to me what you did, how intentional you were about three times asking me if I loved you. Three times you gave me the chance to declare I love you. Why, why do I point up this conversation? Just as real as my story was with that little girl who jumped in front of a car, it still transforms me. When we remember the goodness of God, when we remember the interaction we have with God, when we remember the even the shortcomings, but then we remember his mercy. His mercy is bigger than my shortcoming. It transforms us again and again and again because that's what the love of God does.